Great comfort. Welcome once again to the herd mentality. You must be thrilled with the amount of airtime you're receiving here. You've created an idol. Indeed I have. Now, you're actually a big fan of mine, I'm told. This is a really funny joke. No, it's okay. We're amongst friends here. Apparently your team have now worked out how podcasts are delivered. They are searching for something... Did you hear me on episode 27 of Incredulous with Andy Wilson, Jake Farwharton and Andrew Skegg? Yeah. Your thoughts? It's intellectual suicide. I agree. What about episode 159 of Cognitive Dissonance with Tom and Cecil? It wasn't long ago. How do you think that went? It wasn't a whisper of scientific evidence. No, it's not really their thing. Hard to discuss science when you're laughing that hard at religion. Glorious. I even made a brief appearance on Skeptoid recently. We're aware of that. Yeah, Friday the 4th of July it was released. Apparently you've listened to the entire back catalogue of Brian's show. Have you learned anything from it? Absolutely nothing. Sounds about right. Now, I can't let you go without getting an update on the 8-horsepower solid gold butt plug. That which can solve the problems of this nation. Would you class yourself now as a master on the device? I've never said I'm an expert. But as a recreational tool? A tool salvation. Great comfort. Thanks again for coming on the show. Appreciate your time. We wanted to expose the bogus science of evolution. That's the problem, Adam. I mean, there's so many, there's so many isms, aren't there? It's really hard to, to keep up with them all. So if well, I have a favourite ism, it would have to be humanism for that reason. <laughs> and not not racism. That's something else entirely. Oh, no racism. Welcome to the Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, down the line with me from sunny Queensland, I've got Ron Williams. Hello, Ron. Hello, Adam. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for coming on. Now, I won't describe it. How about you tell us, what's your major accomplishment of late? (laughs) Well, I suppose uh, it would have to be... uh a successful second High Court challenge to funding of the uh, National School Chaplaincy Program. Okay, what's a chaplain? Well, indeed, what is a chaplain? And this, <laughs> since John Howard announced the program, or Hard announced the program, he'd soft announced it uh, earlier in 2006, but when he made his outdoor stop in October 2006 and said he was going to put chaplains into our schools and he wouldn't call them counsellors, we knew what they weren't. But from there on in, it's uh, it's really anybody's guess. But I guess the best description of what they are for the sake of uh, what I took to the High Court is here again what John Howard described them to be. And he said that they would be people that would uh, basically just give religious advice and something John Howard called comfort to school children. Um, that was pretty much it. So I guess for the sake of this exercise, a chaplain is a largely um, or initially a totally unqualified person other than having God-given gifts, as they described it, the employers described it, that go into our schools to give spiritual advice and religious advice and don't counsel. Right. Yeah. So how's that? How's that sound? That's that's pretty spot on. Now, exactly how much comfort can one buy for a quarter of a million? Uh, so a quarter of a billion dollars. Well, that was only the the latest offering that was going to be rolled out next year. But um, beyond that. If you add up all the money that came from Howard first and then Kevin Rudd and then Julia Gillard, it comes to about, well, depending on how you add it up, but it well approaches half a billion dollars over the seven years. Yeah, nearly nearly half a, half a billion dollars then. So, of course, this, uh, this quarter of a billion dollars that was getting promised 
for next year. At least we've managed to get that stopped. But yeah, it's a lot of brass. And uh, <laughs> for something that had no required outcomes and no, indeed no identifiable outcomes in 2006 when John Howard announced it, was really, as I often describe it, you, you may remember or you, you may not, that um, a couple of years before that, the NSCP, Howard was into all kinds of stunts after 9-11, after he became a blood brother of George Bush. <laughs> there are all kinds of things getting rolled out for values in our education system, and mostly it was uh, in shoring up the uh, the Christian values all over, but particularly in our education system. So we had all of the uh, Aussie values getting rolled out for the, the education system, including um, uh, be a good mate to your mates and look after <laughs> your buddies or mates as mm. it was. And, Probably do it and, on a more cost-effectively than... It's been perhaps deployed. But one of the things you mentioned there, that the school chaplaincy program has no quantifiable outcomes. It's got really no set goals, but there have been some outcomes as a result of chaplains in schools, particularly for homosexual students. Yeah, well, that uh, that, that was one of the more recent aspects of the chaplaincy that could be seen to be quite harmful at school level, considering that the the parachurches that do employ the vast majority of the chaplains across Australia are normally um, known for their Old Testament outlook regards to everything, <laughs> including uh, homosexuality. Absolutely. In fact, in the very early days of my interviews regarding the first High Court challenge, I gave many interviews to uh, LGBT media. So it's been always there as a concern, but uh, there are a couple of surveys done as you probably know, that's probably what you're alluding to in the weeks before the case. I think post-budget, everybody started to take notice of chaplaincy, even people that hadn't before, when all of the money was pulled out of uh, out of future Gonski money and this quarter of a billion dollars, as you pointed out, going into that. So I think uh, the LGBT aspect of... Uh, harmfulness that could come from chaplaincy was um, starting to take a notice of then and it's a, it's a valid worry as I think some of those there were some shockers revealed in that uh, in that survey that was done prior to the, my finding actually and uh, if some of those stories are accurate they're horrifying. Mm. I believe there's a community in northern New South Wales mm. that has gone against what the government has instituted because it's actually holding a carrot to the stick giving the schools money on the condition that they employ somebody who's not qualified to assist these students. Yeah. And it's an incentive for the schools to get on board with this because the schools are largely underfunded anyway. And, and certainly with $80 billion cut from the next 10 years yeah. over education and health, these guys are really hurting. So... You've got to take what you can get. Yeah, and but the money doesn't actually go to the schools. And that was always when Howard announced it. He knew full well particularly uh, in Victoria and Queensland and South Australia and, and to some extent in Western Australia, that the chaplaincy, as it was already existing in the schools, they're only employed in each state by one employing authority. In Queensland, it was, it was Scripture Union. In Victoria, it was Access. And in South Australia, it was uh, the school's ministry group. But Howard knew that, and he knew that any money, such as the $20,000 per year, was never going to actually go to a school community, as in the PNC or whatever it might be, to hire a chaplain, it was always going to be going to the parachurch employers anyway. So, yes, the thing we often heard, though, with schools, but usually chaplain-friendly schools where there was a principal or a, 
a stacked PNC. The reason I would say that it was handy to have a chaplain was, and you will have heard this, uh, it's become a cliche, is the, the extra pair of hands yes. around the school. And so the money was never actually landing in the school, but it was only landing amongst the vested interests bank accounts. But what you are probably saying is this, though, that the schools could often justify it, because it, it, it was somebody extra, like a dog's body that would be around the school on this funding that was getting handed out for chaplains. So that, they were sort of saying, well, look, regardless of whether it's a chaplain or whatever it might be, it's somebody else that can be running errands and mm. doing whatever. <laughs> helping helping out. My, my parents are both teachers, Ron, and they're really hard workers. And once a week, they'd have scripture. And they'd go, great, yeah. I can actually go and phone some parents and organise detention or do the staff roster. And and this was time that they could spend being productive, Yeah, thinking that the overall net benefit to the school was there. And I think it's, a, it's sort of a catch-22 because what was happening in the classroom? Well, I can tell you because I was there. <laughs> I had a scripture teacher telling me that all the animals went on the ark and it's just nonsense. Yeah. So all the hard work that my parents would put in teaching kids is sort of surreptitiously being undone by, okay, fair enough, they're well-meaning, but it's unnecessary. Now, this is, you're talking about uh, scripture, but of course the chaplains, <laughs> well, the guidelines, as we heard in the High Court, were worthless anyway, because they weren't statutory uh, documents anyway. But as the guidelines are written, they're quite crafty, because they did say that the chaplains couldn't get involved in religious instruction. But then if you read further than the guidelines, it said, well, they could, but if they did it in their own time. <laughs> oh. So, so at every step of the way, and, and it's important that you know um, the guidelines themselves in late 2006, they're actually cobbled together by a reference group uh, consisting of seven people that were representing other bodies, uh, three of whom were actually um, empl CEOs of the parachurches that were actually em employing the chaplains already. This was before the NSCP even got started. So you've got to understand that the guidelines were written to an agenda Mm. Who was on that panel included um, Scripture Union Queensland were, were uh, instrumental in writing the NSCP guidelines, as were Schools Ministry Group in South Australia and the chaplaincy employers in WA, that was uh, youth care. So <laughs> from the very beginning, we're all doomed because um, the guidelines have been carefully crafted to allow the chaplains to pretty much do whatever they wanted to. And there was a magic little clause in the guidelines that said, anyway, regardless of what they said, that whatever existed by way of the contracts in the individual states and the individual schools overrode them anyway. So if a contract for an individual school, say in Queensland, had said that the chaplain could say prayers on assembly, which of course they did, and run Bible clubs at lunchtime, which they did, which they still do, that overrode the NSCP guidelines anyway. Hmm. What I'm saying in in a, in long sentences is that it was a total farce. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> mm. So let's drag it back for a second. What's your interest in this? Why did you stand up? Well, like many other parents, ironically, um, Andrea and I, and we had three children at that stage, we had, um, we'd actually moved to the US. We're talking about the uh, early 2000s, about 2002, 2003. 
And because our, our eldest son, Nen, who was approaching school age in the US, was A, starting to acquire an American accent, which shouldn't bother, bother us too much, but uh, <laughs> we were there in, the, in the, the bad days of the Bush regime, and we were actually in the US when the US attacked Iraq. And so various things led us to feel that we'd we should really move back to Australia to have our, uh, our children enjoy the uh, the wonderful secular public schooling that uh, my wife and I did, <laughs> as it turned out. So anyway, by the time um, our son did uh, enrol in, in Queensland, we're having all the trouble that most parents have across Australia in various ways with it's called religious instruction in Queensland, Scripture in New South Wales, SRI in Victoria. You know what I'm going to say here, when he, uh, our son enrolled in the in school, we're having a hell of a job keeping him out of our eye, out of religious <laughs> instruction. Yeah. And so we had had a taste of the problems that you can now encounter in the public school system in Australia, no matter what state you're in with, with this aspect of it. And then, of course, the NSCP was announced. And the school that we're at in Queensland, there were chaplains, about 100 chaplains across Queensland that weren't funded, of course, but had got their way in. And they're usually um, just paid for by a church. And they were just full-on evangelists because they were installed in Queensland, not under legislation, but underneath the radar of that, to assist with religious instruction, like 24-7. Mm. <laughs> so after the scripture or the relig religious instruction was over, for its half hour, hour, whatever it was, these guys could keep being there whatever days they could wander into the school. So the school that we're at didn't have a chaplain, had never needed a chaplain, and had never had any thoughts of having a chaplain, but it was decided as soon as John Howard started this scheme, a stack PNC actually decided to apply for funding. So it got my attention then because it was going to come to, to our school. And so basically, and, and I just found lots and lots and lots of other parents all over the place, and I set up a bit of a website and found this uh, enormous bunch of people who were totally dissatisfied with, mm. the, with chaplains being slam dunked into their schools. And so it began there. And it's moved and on so since. So what knock-on effects has your victory had across other schools how how is this impacting or, or benefiting the country well it means that it's not going to get rolled out next year with this quarter of a billion dollars and it would have had a total knock-on effect with the funding because except the kerfuffle that happened in my first high court result in june 2012 was because uh, the government was handing out the tranches for the the funding twice a year and of course, <laughs> being so close to the end of the financial year, my first decision meant that there was going to be no money for the rest of the year. And as you probably are aware, they ran through the uh, financial framework amendment legislation number three, 2012, with this dreaded clause 30. 2B just to get the money flowing to the uh, the parachurches for the rest of 2012. And so that's why I ended up going back to court again and won again <laughs> because they'd kept this thing going. It was going to run out at the end of this year. And so when uh, the decision was made a matter of weeks back on the 19th of June, again, just before the end of the financial year, I hadn't paid enough attention to all of the court documents. But what they'd done after 2012, the government in all of their evil wisdom had decided to start paying uh, from 2013 start paying all of the money to all of the, the parachurches in january for the entire year in advance preempting the little bugger from toowoomba coming back again for his <laughs> second go and getting another decision before the end of another financial year which was about to happen and so when we checked our facts again we found out to our horror that they'd paid them for the entire year in january this year, 2014. And of course, um, we saw George Branderson saying in the days after my decision, they had checked on their rights and they'd 
found out that they could uh, waive any debts, as they called it, for uh, all of this uh, $37 million that had been paid out for the last six months. So as it stands, the NSCSWP, or it was going to revert to being the NSCP again, is all over. The $246 million for next year can't be paid anymore. The government has said now on their website that they have no connection anymore. They have no administration rights at all over the NSCSWP. It is all over, but they've told the parachurches that they can keep the money over the next six months. What? That they've been prepaid. Yes, this is indeed true. I was speaking to my uh, legal team again today because our, my decision wasn't about the It wasn't payments. about the money. It was I mean, about the, the fact that. that they're in front of your kids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so what we what we do have now, it's been in the media a bit. Um, John Kay, the state Greens member, we've worked with John over the years. He's a real live wire. It's been, uh, I think it was making front page of SMH last week. New South Wales didn't have chaplains before. And of course, there are no guidelines anymore for the chaplains here. They've just prepaid all over Australia. And in some states like Victoria and Queensland, they can revert to the any policy um, arrangements that the states have as well. Because in Queensland and Victoria, they, they're funded, the chaplains are funded by the government as well. Mm. So they do have sort of loose guidelines. In New South Wales, it's a total schmozzle because we now have the chaplain still in the schools, still getting paid for the rest of the year by uh, um, Gen R8 as it is in New South Wales. But of course, there are no guidelines. There's no code of conduct anymore. There's nowhere to complain to anymore if they misbehave. So they can virtually do it. Certainly in New South Wales, they can do what they like. But that is absolutely disgraceful. But that's uh, that's the calibre of the government that we have. And uh, probably Labor would have done the same thing if they'd been at the They're so terrified of Australian Christian lobby things do anything but <laughs> to, to answer your question the nscp is all over you hear a little bit of trumpeting here and there that they may try and put the money out through the states through tired grants or whatever but uh, that's not going to be very easy so for now subject to whatever that they try to pull they can't do legislation anymore like they did in 2012 you, you may have heard me saying that we've achieved a couple of facets uh, and a couple of sections of the constitution of uh, the chaplaincy has been ruled invalid but the most important one for me and it wasn't the argument that we took along to the court is a, a section called section 5123a which relates to benefits to students it's been ruled invalid on that in that uh, the chaplaincy program cannot be regarded as a benefit to students. And so no matter what they do now, even with leg legislation, it, it can't fly anymore federally. And mm. I'm not saying that they won't try to do something else. We had Abbott in the days um, just after um, the finding because he'd been getting leaned on by Scripps Union Queensland to do something through the states. And Abbott said even then, look, it's going to be really hard because <laughs> if we do it through the states... The states will um, want to put their own uh, conditions on, on the money. Mm -hmm. In fact, they could probably use it for something else entirely. And apart from that, what was worrying Abbott was that they'd take a lot of money off the top, which, of course, they would because they'd be administering it. And tired grants, I'm here to tell you, have to go through legislation as well and have to be scrutinised by Parliament. And they do have to have outcomes. Mm. <laughs> That's why they're called tired grants. They're tied <laughs> to something. So uh, the chaplaincy has always been something you never hitch anything to it because it doesn't, as I said, it has no outcomes. It, it should have been just a political stunt for maybe one or two days, but for it to go to seven years was just ridiculous. Mm. No, look, Ron, I can tell you that a lot of people really admire what you've done because the, the Abbott government seems to come out, put out all this 
nonsense. There's plenty of spin on it. And it just seems to be that you can't make a difference. Okay, National Disability Insurance Scheme, for example, gone. Okay, nothing we could do. No one really took them to task on it in the way that you've taken them to task on this project. And you did it in such a way that had it deemed unconstitutional and annulled. And for that, we thank you, my future unborn children that may or may not one day occur. They too thank you. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. And, and, and as I said, uh, every opportunity when uh, I was being interviewed after the decision, it's just there's just these thousands of other people that is that are with me, and and your, yourself included. I can I can tell. But uh, look, they're all there, and they help me so much um, morally and uh, and monetarily in the lead up to both cases and it's just been absolutely fantastic because all of us so many of us are just absolutely indignant and i can just Hmm. as i said i can tell that you would be in the same boat if we don't have a public school system that's secular there's got to be some place where we can send our kids so that there there is freedom of religion and freedom from religion and it's all we ask isn't it it's not much to ask unless shouldn't be unless you're the current australian government so uh... Having achieved so much, is there anyone you would especially like to thank? Yeah, various bodies help financially, but the humanists uh, in Queensland were just uh, absolutely fantastic. I guess I'd have to thank HSQ, yeah, humanists Mm. of Queensland, but uh, I've become quite deeply involved with them over the years as well. The HSQ is... uh, it's a very important organisation because it's, it's all about social justice on so many fronts. That's why I think I like... As I said, if I ha- will hang an east on myself, it will be uh, humanism and and uh, I, I admire humanism, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, anyone who's a thorn in Tony Abbott's side is a friend of mine. Ron, I very <laughs> much appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Look, it's my absolute pleasure, Adam, and I hope I didn't ear-bash you too much. No, no pleasure. <laughs> Any time at all. Heard mentalists, hear me. Questionable Adam here contacting you from the year 2014 using the internet. Yes, you heard me right. Not from the future. This is actually how my voice sounds now as I feel like I've aged 70 years in the last month. I am actually working three jobs at the moment and I'm exhausted as a result. The only way I could get an episode out this week was by taking most of a day off work and rushing home, so I apologise for the sloppy editing and lack of a skit. I just haven't had the time. Help the show reach $300 an episode so I can quit the job I enjoy the least by going to patreon.com slash herdmentality, the same way the logical gooner and Paul did this week. I really do need your support or I'll have to release the shows less regularly. It really is just a dollar or two an episode and it makes all the difference. Also, 10% goes to Kiva.org to help women in developing countries with their education. I'm off to slip into a coma. Questionable Adam, signing off. Ladies and gentlemen, down the line with me, I've got at Courtney Lynn, L-Y-N-N-26. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Whereabouts are you based? I am in the United States, just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Radio. What do you do? I write. 
<laughs> That's pretty much all I do now. So yeah, basically, I'm an author. So um, I do uh, writing and I illustrate the children's books that I write. Oh, a bit of both. Radio. What sort of kids' books do you do? Well, I write children's books for atheists and free thinkers because I think that that's a market that we're severely lacking in. Now, is this the sort of material that would encourage a child to lean one way or the other? No. I wanted to write these books basically because the children that are growing up without religion, um, and they're getting, you know barrage from either family members or friends who are religious, I wanted them to have an outlet. Let them know that it's okay not to believe in God. They don't have to be forced one way or the other, but just let them know that it's okay to be who they are. It focuses on science a lot too, basically to let the kids know that it's okay to question everything. And that's where I really want them to focus. Are you conscious of putting too much bias in there, however, when you're authoring this material? Oh, sure. I'm definitely aware of it. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm a mom and I'm raising my kid to be a free thinker. I, I don't force atheism. I mean, if parents want to buy it for their kids so they have a reference. And also, some parents don't know how to talk to their kids about this subject, so it's nice for the parents to have something to go to as well. Um, my one book, I'm an Atheist and That's Okay, kind of describes what an atheist is. Because, like my son, he's 13. People are constantly picking on him for not believing in God. He's like, Mom, he came up to me the one day he was like 10. What is an atheist? So I figured it's nice for those kids to have an outlet and you know know what that is. I understand. So what are the titles of some of your books? Uh, well, my first book that I wrote was It Is Okay to Be a Godless Me. That was just kind of like my first children's book to come out there. And I was expecting to get a lot of backlash for it, especially from the religious community. But I actually got more backlash from fellow atheists because of the word godless in the title. They don't want their children being associated with being godless. So so I wrote, I'm a little thinker, which is more about free thinkers, more about the kids who just want to be able to just express themselves and think about things in, in, a, in a different way than, than the norm. I guess the norm is, you know, more centralized towards the religious aspect because it is basically what everybody talks about now. And I also wrote a bully book, which was called Please Don't Pick On Me. And it's totally not related to atheism, but I think atheist kids can benefit from it. But I, I was bullied as a kid and my son was severely bullied. So I wrote that. And then my newest one, which is I'm an atheist and that's okay. So a very wide variety of topics there to have a, a play with. What age groups are these aimed at? It is okay to be a godless me is mainly for, I would say, five to eight year olds, depending on their their ability. And then the other ones, I would say more along the lines of like 6 to 10, 6 to 11. So pretty young kids. Mm -hmm. It's odd that this should even be an issue for kids. It's hard for me to, to imagine. I mean, I grew up being religious. It was just kind of something that was there. I never questioned it. It was just something I was raised with. You know, you come out just believing in it because that's what you're taught. But now that, you know, more people my generation who have children are, are coming out as atheists and we're like, wait a minute, we don't want that to happen to our children. Like I know for me, that fear that religion latched on to me with was just, it was very hard to overcome. And I never wanted my son to experience that. Mm. And, you know, with science now coming out in the forefront more and more with Cosmos coming back the way it did, you know, these kids are really starting to get into science, which I was never into. I just, whatever, I never got it. So <laughs> I never paid attention to it. And now it's science is being questioned very loudly by the religious majority. And I think kids are starting to say, well, wait a minute, we're being taught one thing. Why are you saying that it's not true whenever we have evidence? Mm. So are you saying that evidence isn't right? So these kids are getting these mixed messages. Mm. At an impressionable age. How frustrating. 
Well, I'm a believer. I think that religious indoctrination is child abuse, mm-hmm. uh, mental, emotional, and sometimes physical, mm-hmm. especially with that book that's uh, How to Train Up Your Child. Basically says it's okay to beat your kid. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah, in the name of God. Of <laughs> don't course. forget to add that. In the name of God. <laughs> of course. And uh, make sure your kids don't question whether or, or insult somebody who is bald for fear of being mauled by bears, she bears specifically. Now, where can we get your books? They're all available on Amazon.com. But right now, I actually have a special on my website. It's authorcourtneylynn.webs.com. So if you buy like one book, you get create your own solar system stickers and your own dinosaur stickers. And then if you buy four books, you get like a banana trophy. Kind of like symbolizing great comfort there. <laughs> and a bacon and a bacon lollipop and little dinosaur skeletons. So I have some really cool things that I'm giving away with when people purchase books just from my website. That sounds fantastic. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and I do want to say one thing. I do have a science corner on my website. Every month I post a new science experiment that I want kids and parents to do together because I think that opening up a dialogue between the parent and the child is, is the most important. And I also have this kids doing science page. And if anybody out there has their child doing a science experiment, they want to send me images, feel free to send them to me on Facebook or through um, my website and I'll put it up there so that way everybody can see, hey, kids are doing science, you know? Oh, I wish all this stuff was available to me when I was growing up. Oh, there was nothing like that? Mm, not so much. I did have an electronics kit that was good fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Courtney, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. <laughs> 